Today, I want you to see that you just can't stipulate the terms of your relationship with God. That God is a calling and choosing God. And that you must want to follow Him. You must decide to follow Him. You, you literally must love to come to Him on His terms. Open your Bibles to Matthew 22, and we're going to read an interesting parable that Jesus taught concerning a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent invites, and the invites were rejected. And he invited other people, and they accepted the invitation. But there was one man who insisted on coming to the wedding party dressed in improper wedding attire. And he was expelled from the banquet. And then Jesus said these now familiar words, many are called, but few are chosen. And that should mean something very significant to us, and that is what we're going to look at today. So if you're able, please stand with me to read God's word. We'll read Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Lord, thank you for your word today and thank you for your presence with us. And Lord, I ask that you would teach us, that you would change us, Lord, that you would do your work in our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, we live in a world that is in constant rebellion against God. But what we see in God's Word is a different story. What we see in the Bible is that God's authority in Christ, in a rebel world, is challenged but unrivaled. Christ's authority as God, we learn in God's word, means that we should honor him as God, and it necessitates our repentance and our faith. And now in this parable of the wedding feast, Jesus is saying more about his kingdom. 
In fact, in verse 1, we read that Jesus kept speaking to the religious leaders, the chief priests and Pharisees, in parables, in stories with one main point that some would get and some would not. And the parable here, he says, the king is giving a wedding feast for his son. That's what the kingdom of God is like. So this is what it's about, about celebrating God's goodness through Jesus forever. And he's using the idea of a wedding. Now in Jewish weddings, what was the hallmark was how sacred the occasion was. There would, it would go on for days and the groom would culminate the, the, the ceremony, the time, by saying to his bride these words. You are sanctified to me in accordance with the law of Moses and Israel. Now, in the case of a king and his son's wedding, it would be a countrywide celebration that would last for seven days. And it would culminate with the groom saying those words to his bride. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a king who gave a wedding for his son. And in this parable, we see three very simple yet very significant truths. The first one, and we see it beginning at verse 3 really, is this, that all who refuse Christ's invite will be rejected. We've seen it before. The idea that those who refuse to believe will not be accepted at the table, will not get into the kingdom, aren't going to heaven. But what we see in this parable is a total disrespect on the part of those who were invited towards the king. And you see some strong language of rejection and and judgment and destruction even. Look with me at verse 3. The king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, but they would not come. They were refusing to attend. So verse 4, he sends other servants. And he says to them, Tell those who are invited, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and the fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. He's basically given them now a second invite. It's the double invite. Now, in my family, a wedding invite that we receive is usually followed up by a phone call about two weeks before the wedding, trying to find out if we ever got the invitation because we hadn't RSVP'd yet. So I'm used to double invites. And we usually tell them, yeah, we're going. I'm, I'm officiating at this wedding. Of course I will be there. Or if I'm not, I'll say, of course I'm going to be there. Two, kill two chickens. There'll be seven of us. So I'm used to the double invite. And, and you realize someone may overlook the first invite, right? The invite goes out and you, you misplace it. It's under a pile of, of papers at your house. It's a common occurrence, right? So you're used to getting the call. But refusing the king's invite was unthinkable. This was the king that was inviting people to the wedding for his own son. It was rude. It was even dangerous to their health to do this. But the king's graciousness wins the day, and he reissues the invite. He gives another invite, and he even explains how wonderful the banquet will be. What's they're going to have for, for dinner? They've got on the menu oxen and fat calves. They've, been, they've already been slaughtered. Everything's on the table. It's all ready. But verse 5 tells us that they paid no attention. They didn't care. They literally dissed the king. It wasn't wasn't so much that they just didn't care. 
Obviously, some went, one went off to his farm, another to his business. But in verse 6, it tells us, the rest seized the servants, and they even treated them shamefully, and they killed them. So it's not just that they hated the king, and they didn't want to go to his wedding for his son, but they despised the king. They were the king's enemy. It was treason, it was revolt, it was a shocking insult to the king. They did the unthinkable. Now, if you think about it, the first people, they, you know, they didn't just reject the invite just because they said, oh, we've got other things to do that are better. They basically came up with trivial substitute of, of everyday activities. Well, I've got to go work in, in the far, on the farm. I've got to go close a business deal. It's like when you say, well, I can't go because I'm going to wash my hair. Or I can't go because I have a garage door opening to go to. But then the others who kill the messengers are, are the worst. That They are guilty of treason and insubordination and they deserve judgment and that's what they get. Verse 7 tells us he paid it back justly. He was angry, he was enraged and so he destroyed the murderers and he burned their city with fire. Now God is very clear about what he's going to do with those who outright reject him. And here it is clear that they had rejected him for being king over them. They hadn't yielded to his sovereignty, and so they receive the just result. This week I was reading in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I was struck by what God said to Samuel. The people had asked for a king, Israel was going to get their first king. It was going to be King Saul. After him, it would be David. And basically, God was was comforting Samuel. He says to Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, verse 7, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. So he's telling him, I'm going to point out a king for you to to appoint for them. The, The people, though, had God as their king. God was their sovereign, and now they were asking for a king with skin on, that God wasn't enough. They wanted someone they could talk to in person. And God says to Samuel, Obey what they say, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. God said, they've they've rejected me from being king. We know all about that, don't we? Before we come to faith in Christ, we know how much we were rejecting God. But after we come to faith in Christ, we know even more how much we were rejecting God. And we know that it's very possible and and very common for professing believers to reject God as king over their lives when we don't yield to the lordship of Christ. So it's something we understand. But verse 8, what we see happen next is equally unthinkable. The unthinkable had happened. The people who hated the king had, had killed his messengers, had refused him, had committed treason and revolt against him. But what happens next is equally unthinkable. Because instead of the privileged few who were invited, the king now invites the undeserving and the unworthy to the wedding. In fact, in verse 8, he says, look, the way, he's t- talking to his servants, and he says, the wedding feast is ready. It's on the table. 
It's piping hot, but those who were invited were not worthy. So he turns around and invites those who weren't worthy. It's a, it's a surprising turn of events. It's some crazy invites we're seeing here. Those invited, not deserving, so he gathers another group of those who are undeserving. Verse 9, he tells his men, go into the main highways you find and invite anyone you can. In verse 10, he says, bring the bad and the good in. And the result was that the hall was filled with guests. The first truth we see, it's a simple one, it's a significant one though, all who refuse Christ's invite will be rejected. But the second truth that we see has to do with the man that, that is pointed out in verse 11. A man who comes in with the wrong clothes. And what we see here is that all who accept the invite, or it seems looks like they accepted the invite, but insist on their own terms, will be expelled from the party. They're not getting in. They're not going to keep, they're not going to keep them at the table. All who accept the invite, but insist on their own terms, will be ejected, basically. They'll be kicked out. They'll not be welcomed. Now, have you ever received an invite and arrived underdressed? You, you, you think it's going to be a casual occasion, and, and guys, you, you walk in and you see all the men are dressed in, in suits and ties. Ladies, you think it's going to be a casual occasion, and all the ladies are dressed in really fancy dresses. And there's a, a bit of insecurity and embarrassment that happens when, when that happens to us. I have heard of a fancy schmancy restaurant that gives you a jacket if you don't show up with one. Because to eat in their restaurant and eat their fancy schmancy food, you must have a jacket on. That's their rule. So they give you one to put on. I've never been there. Really don't want to go there. I'll wear some jacket that someone else has been wearing. But have you ever snuck into a party? Have you ever crashed a wedding? Now here, someone shows up in the wrong clothes. He, he's not in appropriate clothing. Now I think it seems a little weird, don't you? That here's the, the king who's inviting people at the last minute. And now he's all picky about what people have on. I mean, doesn't it seem weird to you in our come-as-you-are culture that, that, that the king would be so worried about what the guy had on? Now, let's just take Grace Church for an example. Here's the rule of Grace Church. Wear clothes and make sure they're modest. Wear whatever you want, as long as you're covered and as long as it's modest. But here the king is really, really hung up on the fact that this guy doesn't have the right clothes on. So I know it seems kind of weird and and we don't really get it. But think with me for a moment. What if you were invited to the president's inaugural ball, even if it was the last moment, you would be scampering around, scurrying around, trying to find something appropriate to wear, would you not? Now here there's something else going on, obviously. In that culture, in that time, kings would often give the wedding garments for the guests to actually put on. That the king would provide the garments for the attendees. If you had a royal wardrobe, if you had an expansive wardrobe, it was a sign of great wealth. 
Most people in that day did not have the means to have more uh, and good clothes. There's evidence in the ancient world that kings supplied festal garments for their guests. You see it in Genesis 45 when Joseph, uh, who has risen to be the second uh, in charge of all of Egypt, and he is providing changes of clothes for his younger brother Benjamin, whom he loved. You see it in Esther where the king is being, being requested to give the royal robes that the king has worn, which are even more important than just the royal robe. But all who accept the invite, or at least it seems like that on the outside, but insist upon their own terms, will be expelled from the banquet. So here's this one person not wearing a wedding garment, not fit to be present. Not dressed in wedding clothes. And so the king confronts him. The king is walking through the banquet hall and he's he's caught, he's struck by this one lone person who is unfit. And so he addresses this man. He says, friend, how did you get in here? Basically, who let you in like this? And it says that the man was speechless. It implies to us that he had proper clothes available to him, but he refused to wear them. He's basically saying, hey, mine are better, or I don't really want what the king is offering. And what it points to us, too, is that there is a responsibility on the part of Jew and Gentile alike, on religious leaders and on the general public, and even upon Christ-professing disciples to make sure that they are ready to, for the wedding feast that they are ready to enter the kingdom of God even someone like Judas in fact did you know G- Jesus called Judas friend Jesus called Judas friend in Matthew chapter 26 when Judas came with the mob to arrest him betray him and Judas had told the mob hey the one who I kiss that's the one you are to arrest and, and Judas came up and kissed Jesus, and Jesus said, friend, do what you came to do. See, the main point on this is that you must enter on the king's terms based on his authority. That there is correct clothing that you ought to wear. There is a wedding garment that satisfies the king. And it is not your own righteousness. Romans chapter 3 explains in some detail Romans 3 and verse 21. After saying that there is none righteous, none, and none understands and none seeks after God, and that all have turned aside and become worthless, it says in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's the wedding garment that pleases the king. That's the wedding garment that would have kept that man at the table. Romans 3 says there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why you can bring in anyone and everyone, the good and the bad, because they're not getting in based on merit. They're getting in based on Christ. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. 
And this was to show his righteousness. What happens to this man? The king has him ejected from the feast. In fact, he says, you bind him hand and foot so he can't run away and cast him out into the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you're familiar with Matthew's gospel, you know that's code for eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. All those who seem to accept the invitation but insist on coming on their own terms will be expelled. Now verse 14 points out a truth that all those who believe should rejoice at. And it's a truth that all the elect will believe and rejoice forever. You just notice that everyone else at the wedding feast got to stay, both the good and the bad, because they were wearing the king's garments. They were the chosen. They were the elect. That's what chosen means, elect. They had responded to God's invitation, offered by grace, both the good and the bad. And then Jesus says in verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. A well-known verse, a very much misunderstood verse, and mishandled verse. We focus in this verse on the word called. We focus on, in this verse on the word chosen. So let's focus on the word many, shall we? Many. Jesus starts the verse with this word. Many are called. The idea behind many is is. It is used elsewhere in Scripture for everyone, for all. He is saying that everyone, all, are called. What does it mean to be called? It means to be invited. It comes from the same Greek word that you see in verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 8 and verse 9 about inviting to the the wedding. The idea is it's a universal invitation to the kingdom of heaven. It's gospel preaching. And it's coming from our perspective, from mankind's perspective, that we are called to preach the gospel to all. But then Jesus says, but few are chosen. Not all are chosen. Not all are elect. And this takes the question according to God's perspective. Uh, Few are chosen according to God's purposes. The wedding garment that that pleases the king, that satisfies the king, that secures us and signifies our salvation is humble faith in Christ. It is trust in Christ and then a resulting obedience to his will. Colossians chapter 3 explains for those who believe what must happen in their life in order for that to be real, to be shown to be real. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, If then you have been raised up with Christ. He is speaking to people who have come to faith in Christ by God's plan and by God's design and by God's choosing them. And he says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above not on things that are on earth. Verse 3, for you have died, 
Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You basically have the garment of Christ on now. You have died. Your old life is gone and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, you'll appear with him in glory. Christ is your very life. Your life is hidden with Christ. So what is to happen? If that's true about a believer, how should the believer respond? Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And the idea is that you have a new life in Christ when you come to faith in Christ. But there are often things clinging to you from your old life that must be eliminated from your life, that must be cut off from your life. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, malice, wrath, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Put off the old self with its practices. Put on the new self. Put on the new clothes of a Christian. Many people think that the wedding garment that satisfies the king is the righteousness of God in Christ. And I agree. Others say it's not just the righteousness of God in Christ, but it's also the resulting desire to live a righteous life for those who are in Christ. And the two go hand in hand. According to Colossians chapter 3, it says, put on them, verse 12, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And verse 17 says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. You live in Christ. The idea that the elect will believe and rejoice forever should be a cause for rejoicing for all who have repented and believe. You've got to have the wedding suit on. You've got to take off your suit and put on Christ's. You've got to take off your filthy rags and put on the golden suit of God. Because God is a calling God. He, he invites God is a choosing God. He elects. No one comes in on merit. All come through Christ who come. And what we see here, the idea that many are called, that the gospel is preached to all, but few are chosen, few are elect, is the fact that sovereign grace will be the determiner of destinies. We don't determine our own destiny. And that doesn't make us puppets. That makes God God. He is an electing God. But we need to be prepared for the banquet. Clothed in Christ's righteousness and a heart that wants to go. Christ's righteousness and a desire for a righteous life. I remember as a young believer, I started opening up the Bible and reading it and was getting blown away by the things I read because I hadn't known these things. 1982, 20-year-old college student, And I read in in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. There's the election. 
that that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. God is a calling, inviting, choosing, electing God. Many are called, the gospel is preached, but few are chosen. Few will will, will repent and believe. So what are our takeaways today? What are the things that we should latch on to so that our life will be affected by these verses, by, by God's word today? Well, I want to give you three quick words, three simple words that I have been thinking about as I have been thinking about this verse and my life. And the first word is examine. Examine. The second word is repent. Repent. The third word is invite. Invite invite let's look at those three words first of all examine what do i mean i mean examine yourself just like paul said examine yourself to see if you're in the faith make sure that you are prepared for the most important thing eternity i mean two things become increasingly clear as you get older first some people will believe almost anything even lies and two second we want things our way we want things the way we want them we don't like to admit when we're wrong. We like to be right. Some people always seem to be the expert. And it's easy to point the finger on those who want to make God in their image. It's hard to see it in ourselves. But let's just say you have an idea in your mind that gets stuck in your mind, and it doesn't go with the Bible, but you believe that this is the way it is, and so you talk yourself into it. And often we don't take no for an answer, even when the Bible tells us otherwise. It's, we're like ants going after a melting popsicle. We will get the sugar. We're like pit bulls with a tennis ball. We are so locked in, so zeroed in on things that don't matter. You've got to be solid on the important truths, not the peripheral things. The important truths. Here's the important truth. Not just anyone gets into heaven. And it doesn't depend on your upbringing. It doesn't depend on your position only those dressed in Christ's righteousness. So the obvious point here, as you examine yourself, is this. Make sure that you are not outright refusing to repent and believe. That's the obvious point. But where I think God wants us to focus is on this second response. Those who look like they accept the invite but really refuse, inwardly rebel. Here's the not so obvious point. Make sure, as you, as you examine your, your own heart, make sure that you haven't fooled yourself into thinking that you're a Christian. Or even worse, that you, that you have come in among God's people as an imposter. Both things happen. Both things happen. In a church our size, I have got to, to acknowledge, we have got to acknowledge that there are people in our midst who have fooled themselves into thinking they're believers. There are people, even in our midst, God forbid, but probably that have come in among God's people as imposters. And they know it. And it's for evil reasons. The Bible tells us that evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This isn't the social club. This is the, the body of Christ. This is the church of Christ, whom he purchased with his own blood. 
Now, the Bible also tells us that those who are evil and imposters will not make further progress because they will be exposed, just like God exposed the guy in the wrong wedding clothes. God's invitation offered by grace requires attendance on our part, requires agreement, requires preparation, requires desire, requires acceptance, a willingness to receive. So examine your heart and make sure you're prepared for the most important things a lifelong process of God conforming you to the image of Christ when you're in Christ. You drawing near to Him and Him drawing near to you. Second word, repent. Now some of you will say, well, we've been talking a lot about repentance recently, so let's go to the next one. Not so fast. Repent of your sin, yes, but also of your righteousness. We have a lot of good things to to throw out. Paul had trophies that he was going to throw in the trash. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We've got to be repenting of our good works. Tim Keller, in his book, The Prodigal God, speaks of the need to repent not only of our unrighteousness, but also our righteousness. He says this, what must we do? We must repent of the things we have done wrong, but if that is all you do, you may remain just an elder brother. We must also repent of the reasons we ever did anything right. Pharisees only repent of their sins, but Christians repent from the very roots of their righteousness too. We must admit, he says, that we've put our ultimate hope in both our wrongdoing and rightdoing and that we have been seeking to get around God or get control of God in order to get hold of God's things. See, it's only when you see your desire to be your own Savior and Lord, and that is lying beneath both your sins and your moral goodness, and when you realize that the antidote to being bad is not just being good, then you're on the brink. When you follow through, it will change everything in your life. How you view God, how you view yourself, how you view others, how you view your work, how you view your place in the church, how you view your sins, how you view, how you view your virtues. It's not called the new birth for nothing. The new birth is called the new birth because it is radical. You've got to repent of both your righteousness and unrighteousness. And the third word, invite you might want to pass this one by too because you're like, I know what you're going to say. Just invite people to Christ through the gospel. Not so fast. Not so fast. Invite, and, and think about this with me. If everyone is invited, Jesus said, uh, many are called. It, it means that everyone should be in, in called by the gospel. Everyone should hear the gospel message. Give it to everyone. Well, if everyone is invited, then we need to invite everyone. We need to invite everyone. And I, I said at the beginning, you can't just stipulate the terms to God. But what happens is we go and say, hey, I know I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to 
stipulate the terms of my salvation to God. It's exactly like he says. I must come by grace through faith in Christ apart from my works. But what we forget is that we can't stipulate the terms of our life to God either. And often what we want to do is stipulate the terms even of our inviting other people. And we profile them spiritually. It never works out well when we try to stipulate terms to God, does it? There's the idea that you should come as you are but don't stay as you were. When you come to faith in Christ, you need to respect God's grace and treasure his truth and imitate Christ, not yourself or the world. God is a calling God and he does the choosing. But our part is the giving out of invites on behalf of the king. 2 Corinthians 5 calls us ambassadors for Christ. So here's some things to keep in mind as you give out invites. As you give out invites, remember that people like to be included, not excluded. One of the most painful times for my life as a child was looking out my my bedroom window and seeing a parade of kids walking down the street carrying gifts to a party I wasn't invited to. Remember that people like to be included, not excluded, and people want the truth, not lies, and the king is honest. Don't be afraid as you give out invites with the gospel that you tell people what they need to hear in the context of their life, in the context of being loving but also truthful. It's like Paul when he was with Felix. Acts chapter 24. What was Paul talking about? Well, he was talking, he was reasoning about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. And that caused Felix to get alarmed and to send Paul away. Now, as you give out your invites, to remember this. Be sensitive about backstory. Be sensitive about backstory. Did you know that all of you came in to this room today with a, a book on your back? A, a, a invisible book on your back. And, and in that book, there's a story of how you got to today. How everything in your life has been used to shape you into the person you are today. And that's why you are how you are. And it's a book on your back. It's your backstory. It's all about you. But remember that people have that. Everyone's got this book on their back and it contains their story about how they were shaped. So be careful about the spiritual profiling that's going on. Where we say, hmm, I don't think they would fit at Grace Orange. I think I'll go and talk to someone else about Jesus. Remember that God brought in the good and the bad. The king brought in the good and the bad. The idea is if they'll fit in heaven, they'll fit here. The idea is if God will let them in, you let them in into grace, into the Bible class, into the home group, into the small group. Because the gospel brings people together in Christ's church that wouldn't hang out otherwise. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's the beauty of what God is doing. As the worship team comes back up, let me just say this too. An invitation sometimes seems always to be there. Like it's just going to be there. But you know, if you get invited to a wedding and you set that invitation aside, and you find it two weeks after the, after the date of the wedding, you're not going to a wedding. You probably need, still need to send a gift, but you're not going to a wedding. The invitation seems to always be there, but not always be there. It won't always be there. Think of when God told Noah to build an ark. 
He told him to do this, and people laughed at him and mocked him. But once the door on the ark got closed, people were pounding on the door trying to get in to escape the flood. God says, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found, because there is a day when he will hide himself. The Bible says, now is the day of salvation. Today, you hear the gospel, you've got re- to respond. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have the authority to choose, that you are an electing God. Thank you, Lord, that you have made it and designed it so that we must appropriately choose to attend on your terms, that we are responding people. Thank you, Lord, that you're sovereign and that we have a decision to make. Thank you, Lord, that we can be saved by grace, which is your choice, through faith, which is our response and your gift. We thank you, Lord, that you have invited everyone and that we must accept the terms. And we pray, I pray, that you would give us grace to to repent, to believe, to deny ourselves, and to give out as many invites as we can. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.